I think people don't realize that you can take a very boring view out your window and make it very interesting. People don't realize like artists that you may be very familiar with in their work. If you saw what they saw, you would be like, oh, really? But as an artist, you make it interesting because people always say, oh, I wish I had that country view. I'd be doing that too. And I'm like, hey, for years, the view that I'm painting now did not feel very exciting for me. But I'm finding that with landscape, if you just plop down or where, wherever it is, an airport or um, a big city, you know, plopping down and just letting your eyes adjust and just being committed to capture whatever's there that you do find some really interesting things. Like that first time I went to that creek, I was like, oh, oh, this isn't I kept thinking, should I keep go around the next bend to see? Is the, and I thought, no, I don't need to be covered carrying all this the bathroom clock started ticking I only got so much time and um I need to just sit down and I've gone back to that same spot because every time that I sit there the longer I sit the more I'm like there is so much beauty here good morning again Sandy and welcome back to the podcast <laughs> thank you it's been a fun conversation yeah and this is the first time that i'm speaking to someone in two parts uh, uh for the interest of listeners i'll say that we recorded uh just oh, like something like two and a half hours yesterday and today uh we're recording the second part of the conversation and we had to stop in the middle yesterday because of pressing other appointments but we're back today and hoping to sort of resume with the same momentum that we ended on yesterday so yeah we we spoke about so many lovely things and i learned so much about your process and your work but i i just have more uh, thoughts more questions about it because i am a sketchbook artist so all my work goes not only starts in my sketchbooks but it ends in my sketchbooks so i'm curious about people who use sketchbooks and who use different media in different ways like there are artists like me for whom the sketchbook is the start and the end but there are others who use it in strategic ways around their art to supplement their practice in different interesting ways can you tell me what role the sketchbook has played in your life like when you were young i suppose you were using sketchbooks and these big drawing books and things like that that maybe uh, your parents brought for you and uh, then you evolve they evolve into a different use over time as you figure out where your art needs to be so tell me a little bit about this okay well i think as as i was younger i actually didn't work in sketchbooks unless you um consider a coloring book a sketchbook which may be so but um you know i had said earlier that my parents weren't real supportive and i didn't mean that as as though they were discouraging they definitely you know encouraged me when I would bring stuff home from the one art class or my dad, you know, was always buying me art supplies. His mom, um, my grandmother was an artist. And so um, he was really encouraging. I think though I didn't receive it well because it felt like, well, you're my parent. Of course, you're going to like my stuff. You know how that feels. In fact, I've got a friend who is young and she said, I really need some evaluation on my work. My parents just say everything is good and I know it's not good. <laughs> No, everything's not good. And I thought, oh, that's a good key for parents. Don't say everything's good. Like, give true feedback. But so, I mean, I think I was just a normal child that just did 
art. I knew I enjoyed creative stuff, but I just didn't have my footing. I didn't know what I loved. Nothing really um, just kind of exploded in me. I took the one art class I took in high school. There was this guy who came out of the womb drawing perfectly. He was one of those that probably worked for Disney as soon as he graduated from high school. So I kind of just saw that and thought, oh, that's what an artist is. And just never had a lot of confidence in my work and um, anything that I did creatively. I enjoyed it, but it just, it felt more like just a really side kind of hobby, not even like an intense hobby, not somebody that would say, oh, I'm a gardener, you know, somebody that would put like a title to it. I just kind of did it off on the side. And then when I picked watercolor back up as an adult, I did start working in sketchbooks quite a bit there. It always felt like a safe place to me, a place that should be for play. It wasn't for finished work, even though there would sometimes be stuff that people would want to buy, which I never sold anything from my sketchbooks. I also never tore anything out. I had a really bad art teacher. I took one like workshop as an adult in watercolor. She was a terrible teacher. Um, but she did say one thing that stuck with me. She said, never throw anything away. And I'm so glad she said that to me and that I followed that because there was stuff that I th- would have thrown away in a heartbeat that were some of my top sellers. I've just never been a real good um, judge of my own work. And I'm so glad too, because like I said yesterday, we love laughing at some of my worst of the worst work. And it's kind of just nice to have that journey. Like my whole journey is just there in my sketchbooks. I also would encourage people to make sure you date stuff. My very first sketchbook or two, I don't know when I started because I didn't date things. And so I don't have that part of the documentation, which to me feels really important. I've got my very, very first sketchbook as an adult that I started playing in. And I don't know when I started that. And it kind of makes me sad. So for me, it's just always been there. I feel baffled by artists who don't work in sketchbooks. I'm kind of like, what? And usually those are artists who make, they really feel like they're only want to work on something that's going to sell. And I feel like it's just a really defeating thing to not have a place for just you and to be able to have a place that feels really free and safe and a place to play. Um, I think people sometimes either as beginners or artists who have always worked this way, feel like it feels like it's a waste. If there's a really amazing painting in your sketchbook that can't then be sold. I feel so happy when there's something amazing in my sketchbook and it won't ever be sold. It's just for me. I can reference it again. Some people will resonate with that because some people do have a hard time selling their work at first and letting it go. I resonate with that too. Now I'm just a creating machine and I'm like, on to the next thing. Here, you can have this. I'm on to the next. I don't care. I'm I'm making stuff so fast. But now in the last few years, I've started a new process that Man, it fulfills so many things in my life. One of the things I used to have a hard time with, especially in watercolor, when I was only painting watercolor, a little bit when I was in oils, um, but I definitely would feel creative. I'd want to go paint, but I just didn't know what. It, I just struggled with that all the time. Like, well, I don't know what to do. I didn't really know what my subjects were at the time. I didn't... I don't know. I just struggled with that a lot. And that was a real stumbling block for me. I don't have that at all now. And one of the things that has helped that I've gotten to a place where I use either my sketchbook or just 
um, really cheap paper that I use, which on uh, I have a video on my YouTube that is on just cheap paper, really good paper, high quality paper that's really cheap. I think it's important to have material that you can just do whatever to and not worry about it. So what I've gotten in the, the habit of doing is painting from my own paintings. Sometimes it's painting a completed work, using a completed work to do a sketch because I just want to paint real quick. I have just a few minutes. I need to wet the brush and I'll have a painting up on the wall and I I will, maybe it's acrylic or oil. Maybe it's one of my older works even, and I'll do it in watercolor or in oil pastels. I'll do it in a different medium. And then I have different textures. I have different shapes. I can't do the same thing in oil pastels as I can in acrylic. It makes you do things a little different. And then I have another layer of that subject. I've gotten to know it a little better. And it always just feeds more creativity. Then I'll maybe we'll do it in watercolor. Sometimes it's really big and then I do it small. Sometimes it's small, I do it big. So, um, so I do that quite a bit. And now since I've been painting out on location a lot more in landscapes, I've been taking some of this big, cheaper paper that I have, folding it and tearing it down into small pieces. And it makes a nice little board. I mean, it's not as strong as having something like hardback behind it, but it's enough that I can hold it and put it in my lap and paint on it. And I will just work furiously when I'm on location. I start with charcoal because that way I can just capture the lines. For me, that's easiest. It's the first thing that kind of gets me excited about something when my eyes adjust to a location are the lines and the shapes. So I just kind of get to know the subject really quick. I'll crank out three or four really quick charcoal sketches. Those are all on the ground around me. Then I'll move to a different medium, always working really fast. And so sometimes then I'm capturing value. I do a bunch of things, just capturing value. Then maybe it's color because then my eyes have really adjusted. And in kind of a neutralist, neutrally landscape, like right now in the winter, things seem kind of blah, but as your eyes adjust, you start seeing color everywhere. There's a creek I've been painting at. And as I've been painting or as I'm doing that warm up stuff, by the time I get to color, it's almost too much because in a creek, you've got all these layers. You've got what you can see on the bottom. You've got the water and the way it's reflecting. Then you've got the way the trees are reflecting. So then I'm doing sketches like crazy, trying to catch all the different layers. Then I come back and I've got all this references and I'll tape those all up on the wall. And then I start doing paintings from those and start bringing all those together and kind of, and it just, it fuels me for so long that I just barely can get the paintings out fast enough and furious enough because it's just so exciting. Then I'll go back because I've kind of dipped my toes in the subject. I feel like I'm getting to know it a little bit. And in my old days, I think I would have felt like I would have gotten bored. I did get bored pretty easy with subjects, but I think it's because I was approaching them the same way every time. I would set up a still life, paint it the same size with the same medium in the same way. So no wonder I got bored. But because I'm working in different ways, here's the other thing that it does. It really frees you up to not be precious because it's just something you're doing on paper really quick. So what I do is, let's say I'm like, well, I wonder if, and fill in the blank. I wonder if I should put this background in blank. Should I do this? Should I? Well, I just do it. I pick one of the what ifs 
and do it because then I know I can do another one and another one. And so I can just explore. Then I've really gotten to know it and I know what I like, not only what I like on the paper or the canvas, but I know what I like in the way that I'm creating. And uh, I don't know, my skill level has grown so fast very, very quickly because of this process. I mean, landscapes are pretty new for me in the way that I'm doing them. And I'm creating work that just fires me up. The next couple of weeks, I'm going to be showing some stuff on Instagram that I've been doing at this creek. And it's so fun too, because I start very detail, a little more detailed than normal when you're in location and have all the stuff. But then by that time I get to my finished paintings, I'm able to just narrow it down to shapes and colors that are more abstract, but have such personality, I think, to them. I don't know. We'll see. Once I show everybody, they may be like, well, we don't really like these that much, but I'm having a lot of fun with them. And I think it shows, and I think the artwork is is really um, fun. So I think that's a great way to start a, maybe a subject you're not used to. Yeah, you're, you're so right. Like, I feel like uh, so many of the points you mentioned, like firstly, using cheap paper to sort of literally and metaphorically lower the cost of starting a painting because like I work in this sketchbook and my whole thing started with the idea that I'm not gonna see any drawing is precious any drawing I make is and this is my mental attitude was my mental attitude that it is essentially dispensable if my sketchbook gets lost tomorrow I shouldn't grieve that a certain drawing is gone or that you know this drawing was so good and now it's gone forever every so my mental attitude was that every day I draw I make a better drawing than I did the previous day so every day that I make new work I'm improving as an artist and this was an important psychological framework because otherwise we tend to get we tend to get enslaved by our own skill levels like we feel trapped by the best thing we did and now it's almost hanging over us like Damocles's sword that you know now you can't take any missteps and that's such a dangerous position to be in. I really love what you just said about uh, going outside and then drawing with charcoal and then getting into the colors after that, because I see you spending so much time with the subject. Changing mediums is a very interesting way of seeing it in different ways. So charcoal is not only a way to depict something, but it is also one particular way to see something, to see the lines first. And then to move to colors after that is to literally add another layer of appreciation on top of that. And I love the the fact that you take all these rough sketches back with you and then you work on the canvas. You are spending so much time with these subjects that you are uncovering more and more layers of beauty within them. You're really extracting the juice out of everything that yeah. you draw. And I think most people want to just jump to the finished thing or especially new beginners. And I think those of us that are a little more seasoned, what we realize is we love the act of creating so much. There's something I think about somebody new feel like they, they want to get to that end product because it feels like there's something that says um, something about their identity. And yes, I can do this. They're so um, anxious about getting to that to see, can I do this and not realizing like just, enjoy soaking in it and getting to know the subject. And I think if people would do that, it kind of builds confidence too, because it's like, oh, okay, I am getting some lines that are nice. And you get kind of lost in the 
process. You get a little warmed up with it. I think that's one thing that's been helping me too with a new subject. And since, you know, COVID has been going on, I'm kind of just now getting back into being out in public. And so all of it just kind of builds confidence while I'm out there. And by the time I get to the color, I'm not even caring about making anything good. I'm just, for me, it's all note taking. So I need to capture all the things that are exciting me at the moment, slop it down. So then when I come back, I can decipher it all, but all the details aren't there in front of me, confusing me, weighing me down, making it because it's a it's it's a lot when you're looking. I think it's easy. Um, I've been painting some stuff from Fairfield Porter recently, painting some paintings of his, and that's fine. It's very easy for me to replicate other people's stuff. And I don't mean that in a bragging way. It just is. And I've had a lot of people commenting on my YouTube channel about it. Oh, my paintings were better than his and stuff. And I'm like, but you don't realize how easy that is. If you, if I was sitting on that cliff where he was sitting, I would not be able to produce the painting that I just did by replicating his because then I'm overwhelmed with all the information that he was. That's what's hard. So people that either just take workshops and classes all the time and are just doing what the teacher's doing or copying other people's work to kind of learn from that, you're missing the really hard and fun, exhilarating part, which is being out in the in the jungle. That's what it kind of feels like sometimes, like going out on the big, you know, hunt. Um, and okay, Michonne, I know that you had a question, but I've got to say this because I have such a pea brain. I will forget. One of the things as I've been looking at your work, I want to challenge you with something because you've, you've got really, really great line work. I think you've got a real naturalness about um, negative shape. And um, I, I think it would be very interesting to see you take some of these sketches that you've done and take a really large canvas or even just a board, right? You can go to the hardware store and get the, find the smoothest, cheapest board you can get, and you just gesso it. Board is a really nice surface to work on, especially, I think, if you were doing line work. And work in some color. So maybe you do just one ground color, and then you choose a complementary color or a color that you like for the line work. And see what that does. And then maybe even play with whatever the background was. That may be being a different color. Or even it's just maybe even black and white, like what you're doing. But taking that to a larger scale and seeing what would happen. I think that work would be really cool in that kind of a format. And using a medium maybe where it did run some, you know, really good loaded fluid acrylic um, ink or something that you lost a little control with it and see what it does. I, I don't know. I've just been thinking about that. No, you're absolutely right. Actually, I've been thinking along the same lines recently that I feel like I have boxed myself in somewhat. And I'm partly asking you these questions about uh, experimenting with mediums and sizes and doing more and more work because I feel that um, this, like, this idea that I started with, that I want to do lots of work and I don't want to be attached to any one piece, it's slowly shifted away from me and I have become that other kind of person more and more. Like as I take more responsibilities for the different creative expressions that I try to put across, like I write, I do this show and I draw, uh, I've become less of an artist in the, in the meantime. Like I've just given less space to myself as an artist. So I'm not playing as much and listening to you, I feel this need to now 
play more and to do more things and including exactly what you mentioned that I was just, so yesterday I went out to drop and I was walking through the, I, I took a train. So I was walking through the subway station and I was just thinking how interesting all of these different uh, vistas are like the way that, you know, the architecture underground is constructed and you see people sitting here, people walking past. And wouldn't it be great to have like a really big canvas here and me standing and just very quickly putting down what I see? Like, what would be the value of something I put down very quickly on a very large piece of paper? And that thought just came to me. And I thought about why I don't do it. And the the only thing I could come up with was that I don't give this sort of thing enough time. I don't, I'm not taking the risks that I need to take. Or, or even even the fact that I'm thinking of it as a risk is wrong, right? Like, because it's not a risk. It's just what is it? It's just a like a couple of hours. What what could you? What how how precious are two hours? Why can't I make a terrible painting in two well, hours? Well, it feels risky for you because you've gotten really skilled at what you're doing. You've crafted it. You're comfortable with it. And there is something in us as artists that we get. There's a boredom, and we can either then feel it feels too scary to then break out of that because we've gotten this so good and we're out in public, all that can feel, or it can, or the fire and the excitement of like, this could be fun. We'll triumph and you'll do it. And you'll probably find that you can, I mean, maybe even just scale up, scale up in some big paper and use one different meat, maybe use a brush a big loaded brush, those Chinese bristle brushes that I use a lot are good um, because that's going to be a little bit like drawing for you and maybe just choose a color or even something like the ink tense blocks. I don't know if you've been seeing me on my YouTube channel using those. So you can draw with them, but then you can wet them afterwards too. So you can even just go over the line later to wet it, which would create some different effects. Um, but choosing something that's not radically different, right? You can just even go a little different and start testing. Because I do think it's important to have some confidence when you're out. Um, it is fun to try something new. But maybe what that looks like for you with trying something new first is taking some things that you've already done and working from those in your house on some bigger paper. And learning, playing with some different medium that way. It doesn't all have to be out in public. And But you may learn like, ooh, this is fun to move the brush bigger and to use my whole body and to stand up doing that. You're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And I've been thinking uh, about uh, how I use colors. And I've been thinking about like uh, since listening to what you just said about moving from different media and what you said about watercolors really struck me because the only real effort I've put into using color was with watercolors and before that with the iPad, so digital color. And digital color, for many reasons, is not a good way to understand how to use color. So uh, watercolors, like you pointed out the exact thing that, you know, it's sort of finished very quickly. You can't keep working on it because it dries and now the dynamics are completely different. It's not so much fun to add layers. And maybe... That's one of the reasons why it sort of disincentivizes play for me. Like it doesn't feel like I'm able to play with it long enough and I'm not like it, it just settles in so quickly and like, okay, it's either good or it's bad, or at least this is the sense I got from it. And so maybe I need to switch to a different kind of dry media or something, some other kind of color, which will let me play for longer. Okay, but when you've used watercolor, ha ha is it out in the field or is it at home? 
Both. Okay. So I'm finding at least where I live, especially this time of year when it's winter, it's very damp out. So I'm actually finding that it doesn't dry fast enough. Or if I use inks, things aren't drying. So I'll start a sketch on, and I'm also using small pieces of paper. I'm finding I, if I just start big, I'm working on one big one the whole time. And I come back with more information if I work smaller. And so I'll start a sketch in watercolor ink and set it aside because I need it to dry some because it's getting way too weighed down. And it's also probably getting wetter because I'm working really fast. So I'm just, I'm not thinking a whole lot about sloshing, you know, I'm just going to town. So I start one, sit aside, start another one, sit it aside. And usually I'm, I'm trying to capture different things as I'm working on these, you know, so I'll get four or five going. They're all laid out down there on the ground. Sometimes you have to use rocks because the wind's blowing, but also in all of that, you're, you're, you're telling your brain and your body like not to be precious with this because you're putting it in the mud or dirt. It may blow off into the creek. You have to go chase it. Um, I mean, my things come back really looking a little better than what I think. But, you know, sometimes if I'm using oil pastels too, by the time it's time to go, everything's getting smushed together. But when I come back, there's it's interesting. I had one that one watercolor that got so ruined by something I can't remember. And I got home and I was like, that is so cool. I mean, the effects that happened because of whatever, it happens quite a bit, but that's what I'm wanting out in the field. I want these things that get used and beaten. I've got a friend that, oh, well, Emma, you, you um, interviewed her. Uh, she and Emily go out, you know, Emily will be pouring buckets of water over her stuff, throwing her sketchbook in the ocean and and work turns out really good when you, you know, there are times I've put my paper in the creek and just kind of swished it around. And um, it's all about like, let's go out and play and come back with all this stuff that excites us that on its own, maybe it's not that great, but there's something within that. I'm looking at some sketches right now that I have up on my wall of this one location and it's all different, slight different views. Cause I'm like, well, what if I put a tree here? What if I put the tree here? What if I leave this out? Because there's so much information when you're out and about. So then if I'm doing a whole bunch of those and I come back and I'm able to then take the best of all of that. And it feels so stinking exciting because there's so much there. And like I said, I'm just looking at one thing by itself. If it's all resting on that one thing, there does feel like pressure. You haven't really been able to do all the different variances that could be there and you don't have as much information to work with. So that's what I'm thinking about when I go out. I'm a, I'm a information gatherer. Right. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a lovely way to put it. And I get from it, this sense of like this, it's very much like going into the jungle because you are like an explorer, like you are trying to discover things and now, now that I've become sort of good with the thing that I like to do, I feel I am less exploring and more just very deliberately doing specific things. So you've given me a new insight into this uh, framework that I discuss with a lot of my uh, guests uh, in episode 29. You should listen to that episode if you haven't yet. Uh, Kosha is a, a, another YouTuber. And uh, we spoke about these different ideas. And one of those ideas is something that I learned from a science fiction writer and his quote was that there are two ways to write, like two ways to construct big fantasy fiction and science fiction. So, and this applies equally to art. 
So he said there is the gardener's approach and there is the architect's approach. The architect has a blueprint and he has all the materials down exactly how many he needs. And they know what the final form is exactly going to be before they put the first stone. All the details are ironed out. The gardener's approach, however, is that you don't know, you, you, neither do you know the exact final form, nor can you always control for the final form. You simply do a little bit of the everyday things. Like you have to have knowledge, but your job is to give water and to see how things take shape and then to sort of help them along or to bring in some changes, but to not be in charge of the final image with the same level of precision as an architect. And he was talking about writing fantasy fiction, but this is exactly also the same way to approach making art. You don't, uh, and I feel like I am becoming more like an architect over time. Now that I've gotten this level of control with my, with my, uh, with my devices, with my medium of choice, the sense of discovery is less. I know the tricks that I'm going to pull. I know the games that I'm going to play. I know when I look at a scene, I know how I'm going to draw it. And I have a good idea of how it's going to look on the page. And this is great. Like, it feels amazing to know that, like to know how this is going to look drawn and the final product is going to look this good and let's do it. And then it happens. But as an artist myself, I lose that sense of discovery of, I don't know what's going to happen. And maybe it's going to be better than anything I ever thought. Yeah. So maybe when you go on location, the first sketch you do is your normal way because you're used to taking in the environment that way. So do do a sketch that way really quick. That way you kind of mentally, you've got some, you know, encouragement, you're feeling ready. You know, it's, it's okay. I know I've got that out of the way. <laughs> you know what I mean? It got warmed up that way. And then maybe take that same pen that you love using and do it in the left hand. Use your left hand to capture the scene. And then pick up a different medium um, and play, you know, while you're there. So that way you're starting off in a way that builds some confidence and gets you kind of warmed up. And then I think, too, you can then that way, too, mentally. I don't know if anybody is like this, but then that way you at least have the nice finished. This is good to show if anybody comes up. You can kind of tell, trick your brain that way. Well, at least I've got this. I can show. Yes, one for there. them and one for me. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So today, um, this afternoon, I'm going to go out to a new location that I've not been to. We went and scoped it out a couple of weeks ago at a lake that I feel pretty excited about. I wanted to scope it out to see is there a place to pull off, um, how secluded or non-secluded does it feel. And um, and so I'm going to take, I take way too many things. I know what I'll do. Whatever I pick up for, for the first time, I won't touch anything else, but I still have to take it all. And I'm convincing myself it's okay to take more because I'm going to be really near the car. <laughs> so I'm like, I can load the backpack up to the hills, but I'm going to take watercolor. I'm going to take inks and I'm going to take my uh, ink tense blocks. And then I've got different size papers again, because I know myself, whatever I start with, if I start with the small pieces of paper, that's all I'll do. I'll work fiercely. Oh, and my charcoal, because I do like to first start off especially if I don't know this, the place for me, that just lets me start narrowing down and see big shapes. And, um, you know, I just have those papers, like I said, stacked together, maybe 10 or so. I use a clip because it gives just enough weight that I don't have to then take an easel or anything like that. I've got a simple little 
fold-up chair, little water bucket kind of thing. And um, I'll just sit and paint in my lap. I like sitting on the ground, but I'm too old now. I find that I can uh, paint a lot longer without exhaustion if I'm in a comfortable chair. Yeah, your legs fall asleep. Yeah, they do. <laughs> and I'm like, I, it happens up. to me too. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about these uh, different uh sizes of paper now i i think about this with respect to sketchbooks i whenever i finish one sketchbook uh, and i buy another i make sure i buy a different size a different format even how does it how does using different sizes of paper even with the same subject on the same day help you like how how does this fit into your uh, process yeah i think it's a little bit of a learning curve i've found that i do want to come home with as much information as i can i'm not there to do completed paintings. And I am a slow painter or drawer. I wish I could speed it up, but I'm just not a fast painter. So I want to come home with a lot of information. So I found the smaller I go, even though I like working big, especially if I'm outside and can make a mess, I want to do that. But I'm just, I am taking big paper today to see if I could speed it up and and do that, do some quick stuff. But for some reason, I am finding I can work good and then that way too it doesn't take as much space up when I'm taping all those things up on the wall um, and I can kind of go through them like cards really quick and find what I want and put them all on the floor uh, so that's something I'm learning about myself that I don't um, you know what works best and what I'm actually doing this for I think some people may would have a question too why am I not taking my sketchbooks with me when I go out I really would in some ways, like these to be in my sketchbook more than individual pieces of paper because it can't get lost as easy or damaged as easy. It's in a completed work kind of thing. And I could have so many ongoing or working sketchbooks that are not completed. I have enough that I could take, but it's so heavy. So I'm finding that it's it's just easier with just individual pieces of paper. Then I'm also finding if I take sketchbooks, even if I take like three sketchbooks, I may have a couple sketches in each sketchbook. And then it's just not as easy to have all that stuff laid out all over the studio. So if I do it on individual pieces of paper, I can tape them up on the wall, put them on the floor and just have all that there. And then what I am doing, though, is I come home. One of the first things I do is start working my sketchbook from these sketches. And then I'll start working maybe in bigger, nicer pieces of paper. And then maybe I'll move to canvas. Or sometimes I go straight from these little sketches to canvas. It just depends on whatever it feels like. That's what I want to do. Then I just do it. Um, But I do find that there's something nice about taking all of this and then making a sketch. And then from that, making a painting, that kind of thing, working my sketchbook. So, And then I found in sketchbooks, I don't like small sketchbooks. I've definitely found. And again, it's just trial and error. I enjoy these big sketchbooks too. I've been um, purchasing some ginormo ones and doing more completed works. I mean, I have some paintings in there that are gorgeous and that would be, you know, I would frame and put them on my wall, but they're not there now in this book that I do hope one day, uh, that's one of our goals is one day to start reproducing some of the sketchbooks because they're beautiful works of art. And, um, but for right now, I love that they're just mine. Um, it's just really wonderful to be able to flip through. I don't know. It's just something that feels really valuable to me. And 
for me, I cannot comprehend it while artists don't work that way and, and want to just create just to sell, because I think you're really missing out on something as a creative when your work is only entwined with money. I just think it's really suffocating. Um, and I have people ask me all the time. It's probably one of the number one questions I get besides material questions is, um, It'll be some kind of message like this. I just started out painting and I want to know how to do that and to sell my work. And I'm like, those two things do not need to be going together. That's the best way to create work that cannot be sold (laughs) is to start off thinking that that's what you want to do. I'm like, that's just not how it works. And that stifles creativity and it doesn't allow you to play. I I just am like, please, (laughs) cannot talk about this anymore. Put that aside and just go create. Because the selling of it will come. People will see stuff. They'll want it. So, yeah, I think as far as sketchbook sizes, you just have to experiment. Well, I just said that I don't like small sketchbooks. I'm looking at some small ones over there. I have been buying some that can fit in my hand that I take on walks with me. And um, I'll usually stick something behind my ear, a pen, a marker, Sometimes charcoal in my pocket. I've also got a real mini, mini, mini watercolor thing. And when and these sketches, they're pretty kind of nice sketchbooks too, but they're only that way because they're hardback. I needed something that um, I could hold in my hand really easy. Have the dog's leash in one hand. And usually I'm using my non-dominant hand and I'm just capturing shapes like a maniac. So the weed that captures my shape. And so it's nothing finished. It's like a 10 second capture the shape. I'm finding that I'm creating a lot of work just using those things. I'm doing a lot of abstract flower paintings right now, and I go back through those. But it's not even about using those later. About Okay, do you want me to tell you for real why I got those? I was doing, because I started realizing my neighbors, even though they live out in the country, they are going to be reporting me as a crazy woman. Because I'm one of these. I'm out there, and I know this. There, people are just listening, but I'll just tell you what I'm doing. I'll be standing there and I'm drawing the tree in the air. There's something about that tree, you know, so I'm air drawing with my hand really big or the weed because I'm like, I just need to do that shape. There's just something about it. Or I don't know, sometimes there's clouds and it's like, man, I just want to, I could just put some color notes down really quick. I just need that. And it's not because I need it for a painting. I just, as an artist, need to put it down. I don't know if that makes sense or resonates with anybody. So then I thought I need to stop air drawing because I look like a maniac out here and I just need to get a little sketchbook. (laughs) I I feel like I do that though. Like, especially I relate to what you say about the clouds because I think it's sometimes I see clouds and I think, you know, if someone painted that, I would say that's not realistic. Clouds don't look like that or colors in the sky don't work like that, but then you see it and like doing it in the air is kind of a way of deconstructing it very quickly. Like how would how would this thing go if I had to do it? So I do it uh, on my page. Like so before, when I open my sketchbook to draw sometimes, uh, I don't actually draw. But with my finger, I sort of trace what I'm looking at on the page because I'm setting the composition. So uh, like I, I love what you mentioned about, you know, the difference between painting from a, another painting and then going out to paint is because uh, when you go out, you're sort of distilling a lot of chaos, a lot of senses, like a lot of information. And then you have to choose what is your frame. What is that it that you're going to focus on? What are you going to exclude? What's in the background, etc. 
And part of that is about how's it going to look on the frame that I have, whether it's a sketchbook or it's a piece of paper or it's a canvas. So sort of seeing the big shapes that are going to dominate, how are they going to play out? And I do that with my finger. I trace it on the sketchbook page to see this is how this big shape is going to look. And this is roughly how much space it's going to occupy. And then behind it is this interesting thing on or just above it and behind it. And how is that going to look? So I'm sort of putting it on the page without putting it on the page. And that's so important. Yeah, I do that um, with my I, paintbrush too. I didn't realize how much and how long I would stand there doing that till I was filming myself for YouTube. And I'm like, woman, what? how long is this going? Every now and then I'll leave it in there so people can see. But there is this thinking out loud with your arm, not out loud, what I just said, but you know what I mean? With, with the arm moving and thinking on the canvas or the paper, we do do that. And it's a way to, just think out loud. Why am I keep saying out loud? But no, you're, you're right. Process this, it, yeah. it makes sense. It makes sense. Uh, tell me a little bit about though. Now we just uh, talked about how it's so much easier to paint from another painting and then think that, oh, of course I could do it. It's not such a big deal. But uh, tell me about the positive. Like what do you gain from painting another painting of someone else? Oh, reproducing like another artist's work. You do learn a lot about composition, value, uh, pattern making. I don't do it a lot, but every time that I do, usually what I'll do, the reason I will do it is when I just kind of feel like, oh, I want to paint or, and I don't really, I'm not really excited about something. Sometimes I'll be looking through a book and, uh, or there's a certain artist. I can think of an artist like Mary Fedden. Um, I do a lot of still lifes and I paint differently than her, but I've recognized a real strong, um, she's really good at, at pattern making and value and just the composition. So sometimes I've done some of her paintings in my sketchbook to just learn. And I'm always like, well, oh, I didn't even notice this thing right here. And it, it just kind of feels exploring. I do get bored kind of quickly with it. That's why I don't do it a whole lot. I recently thought I would do a whole sketchbook of Fairfield Porter's paintings because I was doing landscape. So I thought that would teach me, but I got bored really quick and realized I don't really want to paint in this way. So I stopped, but it does teach you some things, but I don't think it teaches you I wouldn't necessarily I think recommend it for a beginner I think there's something I don't know maybe I would I think there's something so difficult about even if it's just a still life that you set up because if you set the still life up there's still the whole room around it there's besides just the things on the table there's all the stuff it's very um, important thing as an artist and I think newbies don't realize it there's such a big part of distilling things down. What are you going to put in and what are you going to leave out? Not even just all the stuff around the subject, but within the subject, right? So I can even just look over right now at a plate that I have set up of a still life. And there's all the textures on the lemon. There's all the highlights on the cherries right now, the stems, all the pattern on the plate. What am I going to put in or not put in of that? Besides all, there's a lot of decision making. And when you are... Um, put in front of you just especially in landscape there's just so much that's what I'm finding too it, it feels like whoa it's overload and how do you make those decision making and it's not easy I think it can feel very did you feel overwhelmed when you started doing it when you start going out oh yeah so um 
I started going out to draw when I was in Chicago. And that's a big city and it's famous for its architecture. And that means a lot of fancy patterns on really tall buildings. So all these skyscrapers. And uh, at first I was overwhelmed. I didn't know how I'm going to put all of this down on a piece of paper. And how am I going to do it without everything looking like a complete mess, like just too packed with too many lines. And that's what a lot of my early drawings are. I think for me, what was really impactful was looking at the work of other urban sketchers. So I was really lucky that the year that I was in Chicago and that I made this decision that I want to draw from observation was the year that I discovered the urban sketchers group of Chicago. And just being in their company, looking at their work, finding out about other artists who do this and looking them up online, I saw the kind of creative liberties that people allow themselves. So the different ways that people in my own position do this job of distillation, like filtering out the things they don't want. And there is this in, there is this idea of permission then that comes in that I th- I didn't know I could do this, but then I saw them do it and I'm like, of course I could do this. Why did I think I had to draw every single window yeah. in a well, skyscraper, which is like 90s. Grady, Grady would be like, no, there's that tree. And I'm like, no, I can take the tree out, babe. <laughs> exactly. So I had to look at the work of other people who had taken these decisions in order to give my, like, in a sense, they gave me the permission to do the same thing that, you know what, just go ahead and ignore all the windows. And that immediately set me free. Like I can now draw skyscrapers because I don't care to draw the windows because I don't want to draw the windows and that's okay. So these sort of things, they helped me. And because I'm inherently an impatient person, like I can't sit at one location and draw for over an hour. Like I have to finish in like 45 to 60 minutes. And then if I want to draw more, I'll go somewhere else, but not the same drawing. So I needed to find something that sort of fit into this personality type and what was what that was was that I need to be very aggressive with filtering so I needed somebody to tell me that yes you can just filter things out and once I started to do that I all of this sort of fit for me very well that okay I can just focus so this is how I get into a page I immediately zero in and I've trained myself over time to get faster at this to zero in on the most interesting thing I see the reason why I'm making this drawing I start with that thing. I had to formulate this when I was giving a workshop and I formulated it as inside out, outside in. So one part of me is going inside out and that is me at the macro level on the page. I start at my area of most interest and then I spiral outwards to the things that are, you know, progressively less interesting. And as they get less interesting, I am allowed to care less about them because this is me. I don't care. So I give them less time. I give them less focus. I give them fewer lines. They get less detailed. What this does is inadvertently, my uh, my viewer immediately locks in. When they give me half a second on Instagram, they immediately see what I want them to see because that's where all the details are. That's where the focus is. So it works. And the other part of this is I go outside in. So I'm capturing a lot of dynamic activity, people walking about and things changing within minutes. So how do I do that? That whenever I see someone at a cafe or in a bus stop or on a bus, I don't know which, when they might leave. So I go outside in at the micro level. I capture the large shapes about them. So I see them as one entity. Often my border of a human is just one long line. Like I don't lift the pen off the page. 
And then I go into the details of where is their shoe? Where, where are their pants? What's their face look like? And this sort of helps me to sort of capture the thing that is most transient, like their pose might change. Even if they don't leave, they might change their pose. So I've captured that pose, which is this thing, this information that could have been gone any second. And now the rest I can fill in. Even if they change their pose, I can still see their face. I can still see their clothing. I can, I can fill that. So I go outside in with the individual things and inside out with the larger things on my page. And that was super important to stumble into this. It fits so nicely with all my natural inclinations around how I want to draw, how I want to be in a space and the things I want to draw, like most importantly, human activity, which is so fast changing. Yeah. Do so, you uh, um, do you look suspicious when you're doing it? Because Grady, whenever he's with me, he's always like, if you wouldn't look... <laughs> like you're carrying drugs I mean he's always like man you're so shifty your eyes you're he's like you just got caught she's looking at, I'm like I know I'm trying to be you know inconspicuous he's like well you're definitely not well <laughs> I'm, not I'm very, I'm very conscious it. of this thing like I feel very uh I'm very conscious of not making someone feel uncomfortable like I don't want anybody to feel like hey this guy is staring at me all the time well I don't want so that I'm, either but I'm not very good yeah at- So partly I'm helped by the fact that I draw very quickly. So if I'm drawing a person, then, you know, I'm done with them in like a couple of minutes. Like I'm not looking at them anymore. I'm looking at the rest of the cafe or the bus. So that's one thing in my favor. Secondly, over time, because of this feeling that I don't want to stare, I have gotten good at seeing quickly. So one glance, like instead of 10 glances, I capture information in three glances. Thirdly, and this is kind of sad. You would be surprised how many people just look at their phones. They don't know anything about the world around them. So very few people actually notice anyone doing anything. And oh. that's, yeah, maybe I need it to sort of makes me feel a little that. sad. I think I'm not picking the right people. I need to be like, he's not going to notice. He's really. So the people that I am curious to draw are the people who are busy in some way. That's what's interesting to me that in a big city, you find all these different kinds of people who are living their lives in these different ways. So I am curious about the people who are working in different, and they're very engrossed in their own world. So even somebody reading the paper or reading, uh, you know, on their phone in a, in a train or someone carrying some groceries back home outside, these are the things that interest me. And as a result, these are people who are so busy that they are less likely to notice me. Okay. That's a good tip. When I get back to going out to coffee shops, I'll have to do that. Who's not going to notice me? Because I'm usually just looking for the person that I want to draw and who's most interesting. Um, because of our discussion about doing this podcast, I was like, I've never thought about looking up urban sketchers here in Nashville. I used to be part of a group called the Chestnut Group here in Nashville, which is a group of plein air painters. So we, a group that paints outdoors. But I stopped doing the group because they always chose locations really far away. And at that point, I also wasn't as involved in landscape it just felt overwhelming I didn't know really what to do and but I am finding now that I do like just going by myself and there's not a specific time I've gotten my gear down quick enough that when I'm just feeling it you know I'll just throw the stuff in the bag but I was kind of surprised there's not an urban sketchers here in Nashville yeah that is surprising to me there's one in Chattanooga but not Nashville that's quite odd. Like I would imagine there's one in pretty much every major city in America. So I would think Nashville has one. I'm surprised to hear that. There's a good one in North Carolina, but that's quite far. Mm, yeah, that's that's odd. A good opportunity to start something. 
I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I've already got too well, much on my plate. Even, but. <laughs> even if you don't want to begin that, like I, th- I think it would be great if you started to speak with urban sketchers or even find your way into a Facebook group or something like that. Because I find that this is a community that is very, uh, you know, a flat hierarchy. There is no hierarchy in a sense. It's very easy to approach people and talk and to share because you have people of many different persuasions in there. You don't have, it's not filled with professional artists. You have lots of people who are literally doing this as a good way to spend their time. So it's very open and it's everybody really enjoys sharing. That was one of my big revelations. Like I was so surprised speaking with the group in Chicago. And then I, after I moved to Wisconsin, I used to drive 90 miles to uh, meet with the group in Minneapolis. Wow. Yeah. So uh, I really enjoyed it because they're so generous with their ideas, with their thoughts, with their work. It's the best way to learn. And it's a fantastic community. Like I really recommend whether offline or online to interact with an urban sketchers group near you. Well, if you will, you check too and see if maybe I was not looking in the right spot. See if you find one in Nashville. I didn't think about putting. Yeah, I feel like Chattanooga was the closest one that I found. But I wanted to. Um, I loved that you shared how you start, where to start, because I do feel like a lot of people that feels. And I remember in the early days feeling like that too. How do you start something? Where do you start? Right on a page, whether it's a still life or landscape or city or figures it does feel difficult um and as you were talking there's some of the things that you said that I do also and I just jotted down real quickly different ways that I start I don't think I start the same way every time and I don't think it's even with certain subjects that I start a certain way um sometimes it's just picking what seems easiest maybe if it's on a still life or landscape, right? Or even a person, like what feels like the easiest thing, like, okay, especially if I'm feeling really insecure about a subject, it's like, well, I feel like I can tackle this. So that's where I'll start. Um, Sometimes it's with the big shapes, often, especially with figures. Um, I mean, I only only get big shapes in anyways, even if it's a still life. I'm just, I'm not trying to get all the pattern and I'm just getting where the big chunks are and where kind of the map. Sometimes I also just start with what feels exciting. Like this is fire me up. I got to get this on the page, especially if I'm out and about and just um, capturing things. I say that even in the, even in here though, I'm looking at around the paintings that I'm working on and um, often it's like, well, this is what's firing me up and I've got to Like I have to paint this. I've got to get this in and everything else can wait. And, um, often too, though, like I said, the big shapes, that was the last thing I had big shapes. So I think those kinds of things are really helpful for people sometimes that either are starting out or starting a new subject. Cause we don't, we're both have been in positions where we're kind of teacher, you know, where we're communicating. And because of that, you do have to think about so much. You somehow you slip into those. There's a time where you don't know how to start. And then there's been some dialogue on how, but then you forget and it becomes such a natural process. Yeah. I don't think we ever, like you don't ever articulate to yourself the way that when you're teaching someone, you have to, so I've I've mentioned this on the show before, but when you're teaching someone, you kind of have to go from step one to 10, taking every step. But when you're doing it yourself, you just jump from one to five to seven to 10, and you don't notice that you're jumping these stairs. But only when explaining to someone who has no clue what you're talking about, do you 
go through every single thing and then you realize yourself that oh this is why i do this thing and this is why i do that thing and this is how i do it and this is why it's not reasonable to expect that everyone will just know what i'm talking about but what you say about starting is so uh, interesting uh, there are some past episodes in which i've spoken to fantastic artists who do similar things so in episode i think 25 i speak to felix scheinberger he's in berlin and he's just an incredible artist and he talks about how he starts at the easiest thing always in order to sort of build momentum and in episode 9 or is it 10 i think 10 i spoke to paul wang and he's in singapore he's such a beautiful watercolor artist and he starts with what he calls the heart space so he looks for the thing that moves him the most and his work is just so different from everything else because he does not think i like i don't think he thinks in lines or colors everything is the same for him in some beautiful way so he starts with like a blob of paint in his heart space that he identifies on the page and then he just goes from there and his colors don't represent necessarily the colors he sees but they all just make so much sense together on the page the lines and the colors and everything is one thing and i don't think i've seen anyone's art in which everything is so intermingled the way it is in his so you might find a lot of resonance in his work and yours it's quite uh, that 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 part really reminded me of paul's work um i wanted to i wanted to ask you about uh, this thing that you said about you know um so you're using observational drawings in this interesting way and then you bring them back to your studio and then you do this interesting thing that you keep some you know you put them on the wall in different ways and i saw on your youtube channel you even spoke about putting them upside down on a wall or looking turning back to look at something high up on the wall 10 feet away from you what's that about like what does that uh, give you i think it helps me not copy it it's kind of the same thing as when you squint when you're outside to distill values down in color and shape um some yeah i think it's just a way to get back from the subject some and not see so much detail because i'm always after just the essence of something and saying more than the details so with each kind of layer that i'm doing i usually want um to bring out more than just the details in my work that's what i'm really after and i'm still not there um I want a hint of the subject. I want you to be able to look at like some of the landscapes I'm going to be posting pretty soon. You can tell it's trees and water. I think who knows people. Sometimes people say I've got this really big painting. You know the one that I talked about yesterday that Grady said he wouldn't be. What was the word? Anyways, he wasn't. It he, wouldn't be a travesty. <laughs> but it, well, it is up <laughs> on the uh, over the fireplace. but it's of our pond and the trees and stuff around it and a dock and i've had several people say they like the cow or the horse and i'm like well it's actually a dock and i didn't realize that people thought that it was an animal in the pond but but that's what you get as you go more abstract with your work and that is what i'm wanting to do looser and abstract and again say something more than just a tree in a creek i want there to be feeling in it and something that captures you know when you when you're sitting by a brook and the crisp air or the sound there's a peacefulness there's there's something that you take away from there than than just the 
shape of a leaf or the shape of the there's. And so I want my paint, my art to say something about joy. I do want my paintings to be joyful. And um, yeah, I, I'm just in a different place with my work where I'm, I'm after something more. And sometimes it looks weird. And well, here's one of the creek paintings right there behind me. So yeah, this is this is quite beautiful. And uh, why don't you uh, please share a photo of this with me and I'll share it on my newsletter. So listeners of the show can also see this painting that we're talking about right now. It's really nice. Um, so I want to I want to ask you about this exactly. How do you feel now, now that you're good at a few things that you know you're vet, like there are there are certain things that you know you've mastered. So how does that affect the things that you now feel like are, are a challenge? What are the things that you look forward to doing now in the coming year, for example, that are exciting or challenging to you that you think, again, you will have to, you know, start not at the bottom, but it's a new ladder for you to climb. What, what, what keeps you excited? Well, I get bored very, very easy. I get bored with mediums. I get bored with a subject very easy. I get bored with the way I'm putting paint on. So I do think that's why I work on a bunch of mediums and a bunch of subjects. And that change constantly fuels my creativity. I am finding a lot of excitement in the fact that I'm growing my skills with landscape. Now I have a really bad allergy, so I don't know if this is just going to be a winter activity for me. <laughs> I don't know if I've started my allergy shots back up, so I'm hoping I can get back out. But I felt like for a long time that wasn't an option for me. It does feel a hindrance because of the bathroom thing. It's just not as easy for women to go to the bathroom out in nature as men. But I am finding by the time I need to go to the bathroom, I'm tired. It's time to wrap up. I don't have a good sense of my body when I'm painting, when something's hurting or when I need to rest. Usually when I stop for lunch, I'm just like, golly, I'm exhausted. I didn't know how exhausted I was. Um, and the same when I'm out painting at landscapes, I stand up and I'm like, holy moly, I feel like a thousand year old lady. I need to stand up and move more, but I'm just so frenetically trying to capture stuff. Um, I mean, I do, we camp a lot and, and things like that. And so I do love being out in nature. I just never, it felt so overwhelming. So the fact that I'm enjoying it and actually producing things that I think are good and my skills are growing in it. And I've been trying to figure out, oh, I don't know if this is going to sound silly to people or not, or if you resonate with this, but even just picking where to go felt overwhelming because I really didn't want a beautiful spot. I feel like beautiful things that feel picturesque are the hardest things and also don't really come across very interesting. I think people don't realize that you can take a very boring view out your window and make it very interesting. People don't realize like artists that you may be very familiar with in their work, if you saw what they saw, you would be like, oh, really? But as an artist, you make it interesting. Because people always say, oh, I wish I had that country view. I'd be doing that too. And I'm like, hey, for years, the view that I'm painting now did not feel very exciting for me. But I'm finding that with landscape, if you just plop down or where, wherever it is, an airport or um, a big city, you know, plopping down and just letting your eyes adjust and just being committed to capture whatever's there that you do find some really interesting things. Like that first time I went to that creek, I was like, oh, oh, this isn't, I kept thinking, should I keep go around the next bend to see? Is the, and I thought, no, I don't need to be cov 
carrying all this. The bathroom clock started ticking. I've only got so much time and um, I need to just sit down. And I've gone back to that same spot because every time that I sit there, the longer I sit, the more I'm like, there is so much beauty here. So trying to figure out where to even go. I live in a big city. There's lots of parks. I did realize that there's some places here at the house that I like, but I also realized I didn't like being, I don't like being in super remote, remote places. There's a few places I've gone that I felt like I feel like I'm having to look over my shoulder more than I want to. So I thought I want to pick, we've got enough public places that I can go. I don't want to be bombarded with people, but because of the way I'm painting, I think there's places that I can just walk off the path a little bit, set up a chair. So I also realized I picked way too many places at first. I've I've decided, okay, I'm just going to pick a couple places and go back to those same places and keep mining them for what's there. Because um, I guess it's a little bit like somebody that's new to art. You don't start off with all the mediums. And all the subject. It's just too much. And so I realized I need to, if I'm going to really get good at this, and good at it is not just being able to paint well. It's so much about seeing. And it's like what you've talked about. You know, it's it's seeing and being able to, dis- to decide what stays and what, what goes. And there's just so much in a landscape. So I have picked a few places that I can get to quickly from my house. In fact, I'm going to be approaching a gallery soon. I'd love to do a show that's titled Close um, Close to Home. And all the places that I've been painting and having the finished paintings and all these sketches that I've been doing just to show the whole story and the process of what this looks like for me as an artist. One of the places is at the top of the hill um, at a neighbor's property overlooking. One of the places is my pond. And then there's two Um, there's three locations like pretty close to home and um, just going back to the same spot even and not feeling like, I don't know if you feel like this, but we can also, we can waste time when we're out on location thinking, well, what if, is there something better? There's, there's like this lure of if you just keep going, maybe that will make your work better if you get the right spot. And I'm telling you, tell me if you agree with this, Maybe it's not the same for everybody, but just plopping down and seeing the beauty that's in front of you um, at. So I've at the on the list, the, the list that the top of the list are things like easy location, place that I can sit comfortably because that's going to allow me to create most. And then I just need to be able to look around and find what's um, what's pretty. And I'm also realized I don't want to look for the prettiest thing. I just want some nature, you know what I mean? And I'm able to create some things. And then can I also want to ask you about this? So I, I do want to hear what you say about that. I don't know. I'm going to forget if I don't say this. One of the things I think with an on location I'm finding is do you zoom way? Are you a zoom out artist? Because there's so basically big picture stuff with a lot in the view or zoom down. I'm finding that I think that I'm taking a lot of information in, not too much, not zooming out too much. But then when I come in the studio, 
the finished works are much more um, zoomed in. So look, that painting that I just showed you is pretty zoomed out. But some of the works that I think are better are, it's like a slice of that. So that's a that's a great question, actually. The second part is very interesting, whether to zoom out or to zoom in. And what does that, what's the difference between them? Um, because I think that even when I zoom out, I sort of uh, think the same way. Like, because if I zoom out, then I reduce my details proportionally. So if I zoom out and I'm say zooming out for me is a cityscape. So, you know, like a skyline, lots of tall buildings and mountains in the back, like they are in Vancouver. So if I were to zoom out, I would not draw the details of the buildings. I would still be looking at the same shapes, except that these shapes are now not human figures, uh, like a person at a cafe ordering uh, their takeout order, but it is these buildings with the mountain behind. And I'm treating them roughly as the same object now because on my page, they will occupy roughly the same amount of space if I were to draw inside, indoors or outdoors. So if I zoom out, I think again of the shapes. And if I zoom in, again, I'm thinking of the shapes. As an artist, I prefer to, like in terms of the subjects that make me curious, I prefer to zoom in because my whole thing is that, you know, zooming out is sort of easy. like. You know, it's easy to appreciate like these, like you mentioned, like, you know, pretty things are boring. That's exactly what it is. Like, you know, skylines are so easy to appreciate. They're not so interesting and fun for me to draw. I also want to do what you mentioned that I want to show people how very everyday things have beauty in them. That's where my fun lies to show you something that you didn't think was worth looking at because we're all distracted by our phones and our lives and we're walking on and we walk past things. I want to be the guy whose job it is to stop and notice and then to show others what they missed. That is my, uh, the role of sneaky art in any city as I, as I think of it. So uh, I, I tend to zoom in more. I want to show you the little things, the things that you don't, everybody notices skylines, everybody notices big uh, landscapes and maybe they don't find the colors impressive. Like you mentioned so many classical famous paintings like even the things for example the most famous van gogh paintings if you were at that location as a non-artist you might not think those were especially brilliant you walk past cities in the moonlight all the time you walk past streets with a uh, lamppost uh, lamp lights falling or yellow lamplight over a cafe all the time but you don't notice it until he shows you the way to look at it yes and then it's yes. beautiful i agree uh, I agree. But there's something you said before this, which was super important to me. Like you were talking about how, uh, so there's this idea that I discuss on the show very often that we think that the more choices we have, the better it is. And to be truly free, you want to have more choice and you want to have all kinds of options. But I push back against that idea. And I say that sometimes it's constraints that set you free. And in your story, I'm listening to a whole bunch of constraints here. So firstly, even something like needing to visit the bathroom is a is a constraint of time. Now, you can't afford to dilly-dally for too long because you want to get started and you want to get finished. Having a certain toolkit with you and not everything in the world, all the colors in the world, is a constraint. Be Living where you are and not wanting to go too far out of, uh, say, beyond a five-mile radius, that is a constraint as well. And what those constraints do is that they compel you to look deeper 
and to extract beauty from things that you would otherwise overlook thinking exactly what you said, that maybe there's something better out there. Why don't I just go there? And I have these constraints. So I have constraints that I put on myself. I'm going to take public transport and I'm going to walk and let's see how far that takes me. I'm going to draw with just a pen. So let's see what I can show with just lines, just black lines on white paper. What can I, what can I show you about this complex, multi-faceted world in this manner? And I'm heavily constrained. I can't show you the beautiful colors or the tones of color in the sky here, which is super beautiful, Vancouver skies, by the way. But I can't show you that. I have to show you something else instead. And that's a challenge for me. And it makes me uh, dig a little deeper into the things that I can show and to show them with even more value. Another thing that about finding beauty in things that are ordinary. So when I work as a sneaky artist, I have to be sneaky. <laughs> I, I try to be inconspicuous. And what that often means is that when I see something that's traditionally beautiful, and Vancouver is one of the most filmed and photographed cities in the world, I can't take the first thing that looks beautiful to me. Because that's also the thing that everybody else finds beautiful. And often that's where photographers are. That's where people are looking around and watching. And I, because of this imposition upon myself that I'm going to be inconspicuous, cannot afford to be where other people are. So often I have to circle around a subject and look for my second choice of point of view. And that doesn't work. So I look for the third or I look for a fourth and I settle on a fifth. And this is the point of view that most people with uh, who have less time than me don't arrive at. They've already come, they've seen it, they've taken their picture, they've walked on. I am at a fifth point of view and this is less appreciated. So I have to do the job of showing its value. I have to do the job of showing its value first to myself that, yes, this is worth my time. I'm going to sit here and then on paper to show its value to other people that, hey, have you seen the city from this angle or have you seen this park from this point of view? And again, a constraint, but I make it my job then to find something from it. And I find that these constraints or these artificial rules that I've put, this need to be inconspicuous, it's so unnecessary, but it makes my art more interesting. It makes my point of view more fresh. And when what I have to show to people is something that they have likely not seen before. I totally agree. I think, especially for beginners, whether it's materials and stuff, um, that there's kind of always, well, if I had this or... I do feel that with my YouTube channel, Guilty at times, because I do a lot of art hauls and I, I show different materials. I mean, that's part of my job is to explore and let people know what I'm enjoying and what, um, you know, I've, I've been on this acrylic journey, letting people know about paints that were too smelly. I've got a lot of people that have health issues too. And they're like, I'm so glad that you told me that, that paint was so smelly. Um, but I don't like stirring up in people this kind of idea of, oh, if I had that, I could create. We all are guilty of that. If I just had that new pen or if I had this, it would... I would be able to create better art. And that's not really true. You know, there's definitely use what you have. And, um, and I do love the constraints. Some of my small kits of like oil pastels, like children's sets and stuff. I love taking those on vacation um, or out and about because I have to use weird colors I wouldn't have normally used. And then I love coming in and making paintings from those because I've had to use colors that, um, like I said, I wouldn't have normally used, but have turned out great. So 
I think constraints, artists have always been working that way and have always, um, really good artists have always overcome those things and not even overcome them, but see them, like you said, as real benefits. It's one less choice I have to make of whatever place or color or. Yeah, because decision fatigue is a very real thing. And we are uniquely privileged as a generation, or let's say the last 30, 40, 50 years, that if you want colors, you just go into an art supply store and then you buy a 64 color set. Across history, that has not been the case with the greatest artists. They had to, some had to make their colors, some had to uh, make do with other colors because you can't get the raw materials to make a certain color. Like, uh, uh, like for the longest time, certain colors were associated with royalty because that so the purple colored dye was very rare. And that's why in the Roman Empire, that was the color purple was associated with royalty, that these are the people who can afford purple dye and can afford to have clothes in that color. So therefore it is royal. But now we have everything. So nothing is especially valuable and there's no there's no sense of value per se from a color itself because everybody can have anything. And this is a problem, especially in digital art, like being able to use any brush and being able to use any color, literally make your colors. It's so freeing. It's so liberating, but then nothing is anything. Like it's almost everything becomes the same blandness in a sense. Yeah. I'm such a, I do I do some things on my iPad, but I am such a tactile person. Like I, it just does not even come close to replacing the, I mean, I, I want my hands looking like, you know, I was in a tornado in an art store. painting. <laughs> I want to thank you for joining me, Sandy. So thank you so much for giving me so much time. This has been so lovely talking to you. Yeah, I've had a great time too. It's been a great conversation. Um, I love that your podcast does long conversations because I love, it's kind of like um, when you when I'm in here painting and I have a long podcast on, it's like you get to know the person and shorter podcasts, it's kind of like you've started a book and it's that you really like the characters and then it ends really quick. You know, I always like books that have like part one, part two. So I really appreciate that. And then I also can just talk a long time about art. So it's been fun for me to. And I, and I love that aspect of talking with you. I love that we can just keep going on and on. But alas, some things have to end. So I'm going to have to hit that button now. <laughs> hope you enjoyed this episode. Our conversation continues in a postscript session where I ask Sandy for essential tips and motivation to help me get started on YouTube. If you're curious about YouTube and want to know the quickest way to get moving on your own channel, I think you will like this segment very much. The postscript will go out to Sneaky Art Insiders next week. Sign up to become an insider using the link in the show notes and get the postscript with Sandy Hester in your inbox. Postscript conversations are made exclusively for sneaky art insiders in exchange for their generous support of my work. For example, I released one last week where I speak with my previous guest, David Morales. In it, David asks me some questions about my work and we both discuss our near future projects. Just for this week, I am taking this bonus conversation out of the paywall. Tap the link in the show notes to listen to it for free. Also, if you are listening to me on April 7th, this is day 7 of my 30 days of tiny people project in Vancouver. 
and I am about to do my first sneaky art giveaway for everyone who is following this journey. More info in the show notes. As always, I am grateful for your time and your attention, and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Thank you.